Let's consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The gravity of our problem. Uh, As modern people who live in a society where little is deemed wrong, we have an immediate problem with these passages, don't we? They are weird. They're strange, full of talk of animals dying, blood being carried around, a person dying, sins. Isn't all of this rather primitive? Haven't we moved past weird stuff like blood? Is God a cosmic vampire, thirsty for blood? That's not a God that we're quick to think about often. Certainly not a God we would tell anybody else about. And if God is really loving, like everyone says, then what's the big deal? Can't he just overlook, turn the other way, say you meant well? Why all this death? Here's what we're missing. We're missing the gravity of our problem. The resounding testimony of the Bible, the clear example of history, and inside our own personal stories, all confirm the fact that we have a major problem. Humanity is broken. We're sinful people. Brussels shows us this every time we turn on the news right now. But in the quiet spaces of our own hearts, when there's no noise around, don't we feel it inside ourselves? This sin is so grave, so terrible, it separates us from God's presence, and it demands death. We try to hide and cover up and blame, but inside, at the end of the day, the vast majority of us know it. We know something is wrong. The sacrifice shows us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, what's God's solution? That's the most astonishing thing. And I wonder if you've heard this hundreds of times, if you could try and hear it tonight, like it's the first time. God's solution for our sins was God. God's solution for the death required for sin was to give himself. What kind of God is that? In the Old Testament, when you sinned, so that first two-thirds of the Bible, Genesis through Malachi, that first two-thirds of the Bible, when you sinned, you had to take some of the very small amount of money you had Go and purchase an animal. Go to the tabernacle. Kill that animal yourself. The priest would collect its blood and it would be spilled out or sprinkled. And that graphic picture would remind you that should be me. 
The animal stood in place of the person. It's very strange. There's four main types of offerings in the Old Testament. There's a burnt offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. We were created as people to know and enjoy God. But our actions and our very nature separate us from Him. And so His plan in the Old Testament was the animal dies instead of you. And its blood poured out symbolizes that death. But do you know what? If you did that today, Friday, only to wake up tomorrow and find that you screamed at your kids in anger because they woke you up too early. Or you went out for a run and you lusted after somebody else's spouse. Or you went out for an evening stroll and you craved somebody else's possessions. Guess what you had to do? You had to go back and buy another animal and make another sacrifice. You see, yesterday's Offerings offered no benefit for today. So I certainly would have been a broke person, would have spent a lot of time at the tabernacle. You needed another substitution. Sin demanded another death. And millions of people lived under this temporary system. Daily they reminded that their sacrifices were only temporary and that they only helped externally. But that day is no more. See, Jesus came. Isn't that great news? The book of Hebrews celebrates that Jesus is better than the Old Testament. Specifically, it celebrates that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and he's the eternal high priest. Maybe you heard those in what we read. Just briefly, the perfect sacrifice... Why was Jesus better than an animal? Well, he lived a perfect life. You see, he fulfilled the demands of the law. He never broke a single thing. He perfectly abided with the Father every moment of every day for 30 years, 33 years, perfectly. You and I likely have not made it since we've been in this room. But Jesus was perfect. And so he voluntarily gave himself up as the perfect sacrifice. Yes, this is primitive. This was a long time ago. Among a people who didn't go to fries to buy their meat, they killed it themselves. It's not that strange for them. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he obeyed perfectly. Thus, he was able to offer himself once for all. The high priest in the Old Testament went into the symbolic place of God's presence, the, the Holy of Holies. Do you know how often? Once a year. And he went in there into the perfect place where the perfect God was said to dwell one day out of the entire year to make offering for himself, for one person. But Jesus 
the perfect sacrifice, made one sacrifice for every day for all people. That indeed is a better sacrifice. He was also the eternal high priest. The priest in the Old Testament had a bit of a job hazard. You see, this section we read said that the priest had to stand every day at work. Why? Because they were never done. You see, as soon as you left from offering your sacrifice, you probably needed to turn right back around and come again. So the priest always stood. But did you catch what Jesus did? When Jesus went not into that dark room covered by a veil where somebody only went once a year, and it just symbolized God's presence, but he went into the very throne room of heaven itself where the Father is. And what did he do? He sat down. Do you get the picture? Jesus sat down because the priest's work is finished. Friends, that means if you've trusted Christ for your salvation, there is nothing for you to add. Jesus didn't say, my part is finished. Now you do your part. Jesus didn't say, if you accept me and then you work really hard to make sure you don't fail again, then you'll stay right with me. No, Jesus sat down. His work is done. What would your life be like if you actually believed that? Human approval would no longer be a need. The success you're striving for because only through it will you feel worthwhile would be gone. Let that sink in. And your conscience, maybe one of the more powerful things in this passage, it says your conscience has been made clean. How many of us, our consciences are riddled with private thoughts of what we've done? Perpetually making us feel guilty. Jesus has wiped that clean. There is no more wrath for you. So what's the fitting response Well, he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how to stir each other up. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I hope in our remaining time together, it will be brief, but I hope in our remaining time that you'll do those three things, that Christians, brothers and sisters, you will draw near to God in confidence. You are welcome in the throne room of heaven. Because Jesus is your perfect sacrifice and your eternal high priest. So the Father is welcoming you with open arms. I hope you'll hold fast to the confession of faith. In a few minutes, we'll read Scripture. That is our confession of faith. I hope you'll read it with passion, with enthusiasm. And I hope as we sing 
and as we will take the Lord's Supper together, that there will be a stirring up of our affection towards Christ so that when we leave this room, what we do in here will matter out there, that we'll be quick to do good to people who are not like us, that through those good works, both to each other and to them, we would show what a great God we serve. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a British pastor, and he used to ask people this question. He'd say, are you a Christian? And so many times, people would say, well, I'm trying. Does that sound familiar? I'm trying. To which he would respond, so in other words, you have no idea what a Christian is. A person who says, I'm trying, is still in some way, shape, or form trying to do the sacrifices. All the while, Jesus finished that work. Lloyd-Jones would then reply, here's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is, first of all, primarily, supremely, a standing, a new standing given to you at the infinite cost of the Lord Jesus Christ by his blood. A Christian is a position that we stand in. It's not a condition we earn. So I wonder whether you are there and you believe that, or you're still considering it. Would you stand with me? And we are going to transition now to a song. One of the songs we're going to sing has a particularly powerful message. So the second verse is up here on the screens. It will be there in just a moment. I want to invite you to read it with me. And read it uh, if you're at a place of, of believing it. If you're not there quite yet, just take it in. Hear its message. And then as we sing, we'd invite you to pray and ask God to convince you of its truthfulness. Let's read it together. Behold the man upon the cross. <laughs> 